I wasn't terribly surprised. I thought it made sense dramaturgically. Hello and welcome into another episode of Dramaturgically. I'm your host, Stephen Clark, and today I've got a really special one. Um, this is a film that I was seeking out for such a long time. Um, I was obviously familiar with the director's other works, but this film seemed to be quite elusive, quite underseen, um, but quite highly rated by people who had seen it, um, but just incredibly hard to track down. Uh, I had to had to really um, outsource um, different ways of trying to find this film on Blu-ray. I went to <laughs> the classic places, Twitter, Reddit, um, different forums of uh, Blu-ray collectors, and um, eventually I stumbled across um, a copy of this film that was had an Italian uh, version and an English version on the same disc, and uh, about 80 Australian uh, dollars later, um, I received my copy of The Legend of the 1900 by Giuseppe Tornatore. epic story of a man who could be anything except ordinary. The story of a virtuoso piano player who lives his entire life aboard an ocean liner. Born and raised on the ship, 1900, played by Tim Roth, learned about the outside world through interactions with passengers by never stepping foot on land, even for the love of his life. Years later, the ship may be destroyed, and a former band member fears that 1900 may still be aboard, willing to go down with that ship. Now, what an absolute epic this film is. I mean, in every sense of the word, um, you may think from that premise that, you know, maybe quite a quite a quiet sort of uh, character piece, but in a lot of ways, this, this reflects uh, Giuseppe Tornatore's other great work, um, Cinema Paradiso, um, in its sort of grandeur for, for life as, a, as an entity, as an ever-evolving beast, um, the different complications and, and epic grand things that we deal in our life um, are all part of the story. And for 1900, um, this is this is no different. I mean, this film stands at 170 minutes long, so it's definitely epic in that scale of things. But it's also epic because it covers basically 
40 to 50 years uh, of this man's life from birth um, till till the end of the film, which I'll speak about in, in some minute details later. So I guess we should start from the beginning. This film is about a young boy who is named uh, 1900 and he is born on an ocean liner, which is ferrying uh, Italian immigrants to America. And on one of these one of these trips in the year 1900, um, a little boy is born on the ship and abandoned. He's found by one of the one of the coal workers underneath in the lower parts of the ship, and because uh, the the baby's cradle had JD on it, um, the the worker mistakenly thought that the baby was left for him, or at least that's the way that he interpreted it, uh, a stroke of faith or luck. So he essentially adopts this baby and, and raises him in, in the coal chutes of, of, this, of this ocean liner. And what, what, pre- what proceeds is such an interesting uh, tale about a, a sheltered life. Um, it reminded me in the way that... It, it reminded me about the way that we look at the world and how our experiences shape who we become. Obviously, uh, for people that grow up in in Western culture, um, we tend to be carbon cutouts of what Western society wants us to look like. In different countries that follow different traditions and cultural practices, um, that shapes and informs how they are, how they essentially come to be. Um, and in a in a in a dissimilar film to this, but in some ways similar film to this uh, room, um, we witness Jacob Tremblay's sheltered life um, as he's raised inside a single room and how he begins to believe that the whole world is just this room. And I really believe that uh, the character of 1900, who is later played by uh, Tim Roth as he grows older, um, is sort of, his mindset is sort of the same way. He sees the ship as the entire world and everything outside of that is is something foreign and scary and never to be, never to be conceived for him. It's not built for him. His, his life is the ship. And as a young child, obviously running around, he, he gets himself into a lot of trouble. Um, uh, I believe they, they try and hide the child's existence from the captain for some, for some time, but obviously he finds out eventually. And, um, there's sort of different shenanigans with, um, him sort of running into the different rooms as, as an exploratory and inquisitive child would do. Um, and we, and we see 1900 is quite, quite adaptive as most children are. And it, that's a really interesting point as well, just to think that how a child would actually, um, adapt to a situation like that because children are quite adaptive and and the they accept the world around them as as the only world that they know and for 1900 um, he he becomes so adept at picking up the things about about this place that he understands the way that the ship rocks and he understands how to balance himself on the ship you know he he obviously has his sea legs from a young age but not only that he understands the people that come onto the ship. You know, he, he makes this journey from Italy to America um, with these people who are, who are sort of in this desperate situation, you know, wanting to chase a new life and wanting to want to chase uh, freedom. Um, and in, in the, in the early 1900s. And it's really interesting because, because at some point he is able to discern not only the types of people that are there, but uh, what those people are going to do, who, who, who they are and, you know, he, he's able to pick out which of the of the members of on board is going to see America first. Even you know, he he just understands these people. So it goes to show just that um, that we adapt to the world around us, and the longer we spend 
in a secluded, um, isolated place, the, the more we understand it. And this is a character study in that way. But the real story of this film um, is, is sort of broken into, into two sections. So we, we do get this initial story where Tim Roth's 1900 is born and he lives quite this sheltered childhood and um, he loses his parental figure um, quite, quite young and he sort of becomes an orphan for a second time. Um, at sort of the age of like seven or eight. And in, in this way, he truly is alone on the ship. Um, you know, he has the people that have been there for a while. He is the captain um, who sort of takes on sort of a, a, a tough pseudo parental or guardian role um, for 1900 after this point. But in necessity, he's alone. And he's alone until he meets his good friend Max Tooney in his, when he's about 18, I believe, or maybe a little older. And when, when 1900 meets Max Tooney, um, he sort of, he forms the first real friendship that we see, um, him form aside from his parental or guardian figures. And, and this sort of changes things for him, I think, um, because by this point in the film, he sort of discovered this, this, uh, wonder, this natural talent for piano playing and music is a massive part of this film, not only because, it's just Ennio Marconi and um, Giuseppe Tornatore working together again, and it's just absolutely magical. Some of um, Marconi's best work to date. Um, but he also uses it in the story in such a brilliant, brilliant way um, because obviously 1900 is this prodigy piano player, and he finds a purpose on this ship being the ship's piano player. And I, I just I just love that the way that Giuseppe Tornatore's characters um, in both the films I've seen, his Cinema Paradiso and this film, um, find a meaning and a purpose and a way to uh, look at the world through art. In Cinema Paradiso, it's obviously the child's love of cinema and film and projection and just seeing the way that that film speaks to the people in the town and that and that really gives him a purpose and a place and a, and and someone to be. Um, but that does, he also comments on how this dissociates you from the world. It, it limits you if you keep your head only in art. And this sort of idea is also translated through the legend of the 1900, because despite uh, 1900's incredible, incredible talent, I mean, there are multiple scenes where he pulls off uh, feats of, of piano work that are, that are literally impossible. Um, you know, there's a remark said that he is playing with four hands at one point, and we see a, a great visual of four hands playing on the piano. Um, but despite this, we also see how reclusive it makes um, 1900, how antisocial um, he really is. He, he can't follow rules. He can't um, really fit in with, with many other people apart from uh, Max Tooney, who sort of uh, learns to accept him for who he is. Um, he he's unable to form these relationships and he has an almost uh, incredibly, incredibly fearful um, belief that that the outside world is, is not meant for him and that he he doesn't understand um, how people can go on in, in the big world um, with with so many choices to make. He, he likes his sort of sheltered existence and 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 that is sort of I think a reflection of of only living through art um, in in a way that a lot of artists can be, and historically um, have sort of have lived through art, but but not really lived some of the larger aspects of life. So this just finds a really interesting balance between celebrating art and, and criticizing um, the obsession around art, and I just love that from Giuseppe Tornatore. 
Um, there are a lot of great scenes in this film, um, including uh, where a character, um, Jelly Roll Morton, uh, who is the supposed founder of jazz, comes aboard to challenge 1900. Um, and this is epic sort of, I mean, it's it's almost a grand scale Western standoff or shoot or shoot off, um, but between two piano players aboard the <laughs> aboard the ship, and um, and it, it's exhilarating, it's thrilling, it's probably like a twenty minute sequence, and it's just some of the best music that you'll ever hear, um, regardless of the fact that it's in a film. It's just absolutely stunning. And uh, the the other the other half of this story, which I which I alluded to earlier, is is what essentially happens as the prologue of the story is that an older Max Tooney, so obviously 1900s friend who comes aboard to, to work in the band as well, has uh, has later left the band and is now off board and visits the dock where um, the ship is that uh, 1900 has been living on for all this time. And essentially he believes that 1900 would have never left the ship. He... he d- he knows this man so, so well. And we see this through so many different interactions where 1900 has many chances during the course of his life to, to leave the ship, obviously. Um, but he just can't bring himself to do it out of fear. Um, so later in life, Max Tooney believes that um, that this ship, that it, which is now destined to be blown up, essentially, still has 1900 on it. And um, as sort of Max Tooney is searching the ship for his friend and recounting the tales of, of grandeur of 1900's life, um, we, we sort of see through flashbacks uh, just what his life looked like and entailed. And the more and more you watch, the more convinced you become that 1900 is on this ship and uh, that, that he did never leave. And it is such a great mystery throughout the film. And you, it really does keep you guessing the entire time um, because, you know, 1900 is chasing romance and he's chasing this sort of elusive uh, call to the ocean, which he doesn't truly understand from living on the boat. Or um, And he's also, he's excited about the world outside, but also incredibly fearful. And it creates this thrilling, thrilling conclusion where... Um, when we finally do discover uh, what has become of 1900, um, it is just absolutely fascinating, and um, one of the, one of one of my all-time favorite endings to any film um, uh, is is this ending. And I won't spoil it for anyone that hasn't seen it, because I do really, really recommend that people that haven't seen this film check it out, as this is a spoiler-free podcast. Um, but yeah, it is a it's a fascinating and truly uh, incredible ending to this film. Um, just to finish up, yeah, I just wanted to say that, um, there is this sort of magical element to the way that Giuseppe Tornatore directs. Um, it, it is in a lot of ways it's unquantifiable in some ways it is quantifiable. I mean, there's the, there's the swirling camera shots, you know, the camera's constantly in motion and things are in motion and there's these beautiful sets, which the characters traverse around with such confidence and flair, um, that they feel like they're just out of a storybook and, usually the settings of his films are so, um, obviously they're mostly set in the past or in this sort of uh, nostalgic era. And there's sort of a, a, a character reflecting on, on the past, um, as our narrator in both of these films. And I think that that does help to bring this sort of sense of nostalgia and fantasy to the worlds that he creates. Um, but apart from this is also this untold aspect. It's the, it's the beautiful music. It's, it's the, it's the aura. It's the, it's, it's the way that the characters uh, exist within the world with such confidence and the way that the art in the world is so revered and so and so beloved um, 
and just the way that the films look as well. So yeah, I, I truly, truly love and believe that Giuseppe Tornatore is as magical a filmmaker as they come. Um, it captures your heart and you opens your mind and you feel like you understand the world just a little better after watching it. And um, it's it's some of the best directing of, of its decade um, and really incredibly underseen. So I recommend people seek this out, even though it is quite a hard f- film to find on physical media, but I'm sure there are different ways that you can find. I think Amazon US um, has it. So if any of the US watches are there, you can find it there. Um, but yeah, definitely seek this one out if you can, um, because you've probably never heard of it, or if you have heard of it, you might not have seen it. So give it a try. Um, it's definitely a film that will be staying with me for a very, very long time. So thanks again for joining guys. Another episode of Dramaturgically is finished and, uh, yeah, thanks and join us in next Monday for another episode. And, um, yeah, if you wouldn't mind giving me a follow Stephen Clark on Letterboxd, um, that's where you can find most of my uploads and anything else that I've been watching. So thanks guys. See ya.